Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Jump Scares, because loud, sudden noises are easier than writing a good movie. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Crash and the Boys. See their interactive performance while you can at Club Rocket. See Ticketmaster for details. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the vessel. I'm Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a show where a couple filmmakers like to look at a movie and try to see what it's about on multiple levels. Might be talking about like camera work and cinematography, or it could just be a deep dive into story and theme, some of the writing, good techniques versus bad techniques, um, or just, you know, the way a movie can sometimes symbolize real life. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are usually the the movies that really hit you hard, especially sci-fi. I feel yeah. like sci-fi's real goal is to target you on uh, an abstract level that is really applicable to modern day. So mm-hmm. like Isaac Asimov writing about iRobot could just as easily be about uh, the factory workers. I don't know, but there's a, there's yeah. ways that you can apply, you know, metaphorically and say, Oh, I want to make a movie about, you know, artificial intelligence in taking over our jobs. Well, instead of making a movie about that, I'm going to make a movie where in the future, uh, men start taking the jobs of robots or something. You yeah, know, sure. There's sure. a lot of layers and ways you can approach it. And that's like the worst. <laughs> version yeah, of that. And, and I think that that's what I like talking to you about the most is like subtext. Mm. Um, I mean, we can talk all day about cinematography, yeah. and camera angles and, and you know, all that, all that jazz. But, a good movie, even if the cinematography isn't the greatest, will have awesome subtext. Yeah. And that's what really gets you, you know? If it, the, this, if you can see, oh, I'm seeing this and they're saying this, but they mean that. Oh, and that, it, like, it, you recognize it as something applicable to today, you know? And that's, that's awesome. I love talking about that. Absolutely. It changes for me whenever, especially whenever it's something I hadn't noticed and I've seen the movie like a hundred times. Um, like today's movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Like I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. I watched it in a theater twice as a kid, and me and my brother were out of our minds excited to see this thing. And then we owned it, you know, on VHS and would watch it all the time. And I literally couldn't tell you if I've seen it five times or five hundred. It could be either direction because your memory as a kid sticks really well to film um, and songs, and you just remember things. And so watching this, you know, as an adult taking notes and trying to pick it apart, because I see I watched this actually like a year and a half ago. <laughs> I was of like, oh, I watch Bill and, Ted. <laughs> and watching it this past week, I picked it apart and I was finding things that I'd never noticed before. And it was just the coolest thing to have one of your childhood favorites like suddenly come to life in a whole new way. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Man, I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Well, spoiler alert. Uh, if you have not seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, please pause the episode, go watch it and enjoy because uh, we definitely enjoyed watching it uh, and then come back and and hear what we have to say. We're going to talk about a few things, uh, cinematography for sure, like consistent framing and the immersion uh, techniques that they used along with the paradoxes of time and success, uh, the theme and lesson of the historical figures and other such stuff and things and stuff and things. Uh, synopsis of the film, two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine directed by Stephen Herrick. 
It's written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, starring Keanu Reeves as Ted, Alex Winter as Bill, George Carlin as Rufus, and Bernie Casey as Mr. Ryan. While I agree that in time our band will be most triumphant, the truth is Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments when we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! <laughs> That's the whole movie in a nutshell. In a nutshell, that really is. More than you might think, actually, and I'll get into that later, but... Okay. Um, I assume this wasn't one of your staples as a kid. I mean, I saw it. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I just... Um, yeah, I was I was in other things. It was fine. It was like yeah, yeah. that was fun, and I'll, I enjoyed I'll move it. On. Yeah, yeah. What was it like watching it this time? Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was it? Yeah, it was triumphant. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's so great to go back and watch the beginning of Keanu Reeves. Yes. Um, in a role that he was probably his greatest role ever. <laughs> and I will, I will say that knowing that he, you know, is Neo in the matrix and, and killed that and no one else could play that role. However, I think this is his greatest role that is of awesome. all time. I mean, really, if you think about it, he's always this character. He's always Ted in every movie that he plays. <laughs> some version of Ted is in there. Point break. I am an FBI agent. <laughs> uh, Matrix. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. I mean, there is always some kind of line that harkens back to. What's funny is it's also, Ted. that's just his voice. Like I know, he's but never mastered his voice. And so you're always yeah. like, to your point, like he's always going to sound like Ted. Right. No matter what he tries to right. do. Right. And it's so funny because like so many, so many actors are afraid of getting pigeonholed into mm-hmm. something. And he, oh my, I mean, come on. This is a role that you get pigeonholed into. Yeah. 100%. How that didn't happen, I don't know. Maybe because he embraced it and always plays the same character in every single movie that he does or or at least gives a little taste of it, you know, because he just really, let's be honest, Keanu Reeves just plays himself in every single movie, even John Wick. Just like... But you know what's funny is... He never disappears. (laughs) What's funny to me is that I don't see Keanu when I watch this movie. I see Ted. And well, I, yeah, yeah, I really, that's, that's my point. But when I watch him in other movies, I can watch him as Neo and see Neo. Mm-hmm. And for this, I think it's the physical transformation between this and whatever point break or speed, whatever was his next uh, breakout, actual breakout, you know, mm-hmm. as an action star, which carried him into other action films. But the physical transformation was so great because he had this really long hair. He's this thin kid. Then you fast forward, you know, two years and suddenly he's packed on 25 pounds. He's cut his hair, you know, down to the stubs. He's got this crew cut and suddenly plays so much better Mm. because it's just this great physical transformation. And it's harder to see Ted through that, especially whenever the visuals are so wildly different. I mean, point break with uh, Catherine Bigelow shooting an action film is going to look stylistically different on top of that. And so now you have this really cinematic thing versus Bill and Ted, which is all these wide angles, deep depth of field, and they're not doing anything tricky with their cinematography here. And so I think he had a few things that just kind of lucked out into his favor that helped us by, and of course, 
being in one of the best action movies ever, Point Break, yeah. probably had a lot to do with that too. But what surprised me too was how, I want to say he had like a really crazy library up to this point. Like this wasn't, oh, there was no Keanu and then suddenly he did uh, Bill and Ted, but he has a really long IMDb page before Bill and Ted. And really? I'm double checking my homework here just so I don't completely screw this up. Yeah. Like I'm seeing a good... 12 to 14 things before he ever did this. Now there were bit parts, smaller things here and there, a TV show here, a movie there, but he had been around the block by 1988 when, or 89 when this came out, probably filmed in 88. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem like disappearing and letting him be Ted for me. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's also because I've seen it a thousand times and that's just Ted. Like, yeah. But even though he had done other stuff, this was, this was made for him. Right. And this was, you know, the first time the world really saw Keanu yeah, Reeves. Totally, you totally. Know. So where do you go from there? You go, you know, you pack on twenty five pounds, you cut your hair, you go to speed, right? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Was was it speed or point break that was next? Let's see. So where did Bill and Ted there you are? So Bill and Ted My guess is point break. Cartoons. Wow. So two years later <laughs> another Bill and Ted. Two more Bill and Ted things uh-huh. actually. Excellent adventure and then uh, uh, uh yeah, the cartoon series, I'm guessing, right. and the uh, Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. And then finally, where was Point Break? No, okay, Point Break was in 91. Uh-huh. So two years after that, and at the same time, Bogus Journey came out, he put out Point Break. Johnny Utah. Yeah, because the long hair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So not a bad turnaround. Two years, you definitely got to get on top, because if yeah. you disappear for too long, you become Ted forever. Yeah. Um, not unlike wow. Alex Winter. I don't know if that was a choice on his part to Yo, just stay out of acting or if he just was getting pigeonholed. Uh, I mean, being a blonde in Hollywood probably isn't the easiest thing yeah. for a guy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not blonde. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> but yeah, so what I also re- remembered kind of watching this was George Carlin is like the best. I really miss that guy. Yeah. Um, and getting to see him, I don't know, roll his eyes through <laughs> the entire time because it's funny. He's he's sent back on this mission, but at the same time, he kind of, I don't know. He uh, got the shit end of the stick. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel too. <laughs> it's like he's imagining their better versions and saying, you're not doing it for these you know, yahoos. You're doing it for the version of themselves that they become yeah. eventually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just kind of fun to see him doing his thing. Uh, yeah, he's not in it very much. No, I remember him being in it a lot more. Same. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I just kind of remember because he's such a main big character. And I don't know, his presence is really, really full, which is hard to do whenever you don't have a lot of lines. Yeah. He only says a few things here and there, but he shows up. He's physically into it, I guess. And just great performance. Like he's this is Rufus. I did kind of wish. Van Halen would have been in it. That would have been cool. Oh, oh, yeah. I was hoping that he would walk out of the phone booth at the end. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about cinematography. Yes. There's a lot of really cool things that I saw that they were doing. Well, first, because we started with that clip of Uh them discussing how to get Van Halen. I really loved that. And it blew my mind in a small way whenever I realized that is right after Rufus goes back is kind of informing us. You're in San Dimas, which is apparently a real city in California. I did not know that. (laughs) But he's like, I got to go back in time to save these guys 
by making sure they stick together and pass their history report. Because if they don't, Ted's got to go to Alaska and we'll never have this future that we're enjoying now. I love the, the little line, you know, bowling averages are way up, golf scores are way down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he, he, so he's talking about, I got to go back in order to save them, keep my timeline intact. And so that's when they immediately jam out in the band, they burn out, smoke is everywhere, and they have that discussion about how do we get Van Halen? And it's the circular logic, right, that they're, they're dealing with. They need Van Halen, they need a great music video to get them, but they need to learn how to play in order to make a great music video. But to learn how to play, they need Van Halen, which of course begins the cycle again, but then they need a great music video. Excellent. <laughs> it's like you morons. Yeah. Y'all didn't learn anything. <laughs> but why that's so amazing to me is because in order for Rufus to get them on their adventure, Rufus needs to gain their trust. But they're able to do that. They're able to trust Rufus by their past, their future selves right. telling them to trust Rufus. Yeah. And of course that creates this paradox of, well, at what point do they ever get to trust Rufus? And it's, it's an unsolvable thing. It just, it's a circle. It never ends. <laughs> Rufus is game for it, I guess, because I'm thinking from his point of view, he goes back in time this one time and suddenly these guys pop up behind him <laughs> and he's like, okay, no, I can deal with this. <laughs> you expected something like this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this amazing little circular logic. And I think it's also kind of touching on success. Any time in life, it's this question of how do I get big in order to get influence and how do I, well, in order to get influence, you need to get big. Well, okay, but I can't get big and, and get on the radio for them. Like, how do I get on the radio if no one knows who we are? And it's just this bootstrap issue of trying to make it and be successful in this world. Chicken or the egg. Yeah. yeah. Like, how do you overcome that? And I don't think they're trying to provide an answer so much as kind of just play with it in their story and relate. I mean, to me on a very subtextual level, like you alluded to earlier, like I just kind of relate to that issue of at what point do you become successful? And it's through a lot of effort at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's the one part of the equation they left out of their original Van Halen argument is we need to actually put in some effort. And I think that's what ultimately propels them onto this adventure. It's because this adventure takes a lot of effort. Nothing gets done for them. Like they have to do everything, including save themselves time and time again, right? They have to remember to go back and place the keys. They have to, you know, do remind themselves, hey, set a timer, don't forget this, wind your watch. Like no one is there to save them except themselves. Rufus gave them the tools, but then he also gave them the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the secret to success is maybe someone can help give you the tools, but it's ultimately up to ourselves. Now that said, I will dive into cinematography mm -hmm. because they do a great job of immersing us in the world and it's super simple. Uh, first, they have a lot of wide angles, right? And so we're, we're able to see everything in the, in the screen all the time. So even, this, though, even though this wasn't a period piece on its face, we do go through a lot of period pieces. You know, it's, uh, it's an 80s film, but then we go in medieval times and uh, classical yeah, periods yeah. and this and that. And to help us kind of settle us in those worlds, the ones that we're really able to explore, you know, go wider. Show us more of that world instead of trying to hide it and make it. Because if you hide it, suddenly it doesn't feel like you're there. But if you can show us more of that world, it helps us immerse and sell the believability of it that much faster. Yeah, like in the medieval, uh, when they go back to the medieval times and they see the the women up in the balcony 
Like that is a, that's a great example of, of we're going to show the whole castle and they're, they're small up in this window. They could have been like down low, you know, like, uh, kind of like a, a medium shot or something in a wind, you know, through a door or something like that. But no, they chose to go up angle at the top of this castle. So you see the sky and everything and, and the, the women are small in the frame. That's right? such a good point yeah. because you know what also that also does now that you've just, you know, spelled that out for me is it's, it's also a great uh, geographical reference of where they have to go. They're uh, way down here. Yeah, yeah. They got to go way up there. Yeah. And it's not until the end of the movie that they actually get the babes. Right. <laughs> That's what they babes. keep calling them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Say, give my love to the princesses. <laughs> You'll, You'll see. see. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to go wide like that, you also need to go really deep depth of field so that you can actually, you know, feel and see everything that's happening. Yeah. Uh, if you go too shallow, then what's the point of being white at all mm-hmm. um, in that particular instance? But in doing so, they also break the 180 degree rule a lot, which is the idea that you're really only ever showing one half of a room to help kind of cement the geography. The camera never breaks a certain point of the room. But in this case, they'll show behind the characters, then they'll completely invert the the angle and walk to the other side of the room, then show the exact other half of that room. So you're constantly seeing everything, but they do a great job of constantly doing that. So you never feel confused or geographically, you know, put off, which is Maybe they use a, a prop or something to ground you. Yeah. So you're like, okay, that table was on the left side of the frame. Now it's on the right side of the frame. Yeah. And, you know, even though they're flip-flopped or something. I would say usually the characters are that geography. Oh, okay. Because, and that gets to the next one, which was my favorite cinematography trick that they did, was they kept Bill and Ted in the same uh, left-right position. Bill is always, always on the left. Really? Ted is always on the right. Cool. That was really cool to me because I've used that technique before in a short film as well. And I did it, you know, for similar reasons. They had much bigger reasons. Uh, For one, that's the name of the film is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So that, for one, you have two characters who act exactly the same. And so keeping them in title order helps you remember who's who, who. they are. Yeah, to- totally. Oh, my God. That's like That's this brilliant. really simple and intelligent way to approach that problem. Yeah. And so the times that they don't follow that rule, they still follow a version of it. So like when Napoleon wakes up, his eyes open, we get a POV shot looking at Bill and Ted and uh, Ted's brother, I think Bill's brother. Oh, yeah. Um, Here is some money. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. And so even whenever they do that, they stack them in order. So Bill is upstage or Bill is uh, downstage. Ted is upstage. So it's still in an order. Even if he's on the right, Mm -hmm. he's in front of uh, Ted to keep that same depth and order in sequence. And that's pretty cool because, yeah, like I said, it helps build familiarity with their their names, you know, remembering who's who. But it also helps us um, identify them as they move through so many scenarios. We get to maintain a steady sense of connection with them regardless of where they go. So we never feel out of sorts, you know, whenever everything feels right, which is really, really smart because in those rare times of stress or confusion, their positions do get reversed. 
And those are the moments that suddenly, you know, it adds a layer of visual tension that we can't quite put a finger on. Things just feel out of sorts. For instance, whenever they're fleeing the medieval execution and he's trying to dial and he's like, I got a wrong number or whatever. Oh, yeah, right. Like Bill is in the background. So he's he's upstage now and he's on the right where Bill is. Uh, Ted is on the left. Mm-hmm. And so they they've completely inverted everything they've done up to that point. And then once they get out of that jam, they immediately, the next shot, Bill's on the left, Ted's on the right. And similar, when they're fixing the antenna in 1 million BC, Ted is on the left. Like we're going down the line and Ted's on the left and we pan up to see Bill. He's now on the right and he breaks the antenna and that becomes a thing. And even whenever they lose Napoleon, whenever they go to the baseball field, they invert when they're trying to figure out like, where the heck could he be? Bill is once again on the right. They've you know reversed the positions. And you can even see them if you're if you look for this now that you realize, okay, Bill is always going to be on the left. You can even see towards the end of a scene, like whenever uh, they find Napoleon in the yard, you can see Bill whenever we're about to cut from a wide shot to a close up or to a medium. You can see Bill start to rearrange himself so that in the next shot, he's going to be on the left. <laughs> like, it's awesome. pretty cool. Like, he has to walk around Ted and get in position. Um, but it's natural. Like, it's just it just feels like he's just going over to look at, you know, yeah. Napoleon. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I'll, that really kind of surprised me because I didn't think they were doing almost anything <laughs> in this movie than just shooting their characters. But this kind of takes us into the theme of the historical figures throughout the movie, which... I didn't think I was ever going to pick up anything on this because there's so many of these guys. What could we possibly, you know, be, make obvious through this? But what I began to notice was there's a lot of characters who do a lot when they were young. Joan of Arc, right? Mm-hmm. She dies at 19, but also she was born in obscurity, right? She was a peasant and she rose up to, I mean, we're still, whatever she did, she did it between the ages of like, before 19, we yeah. still know about her today. Yeah. Like yeah. She was a world famous figure. Um, Genghis Khan was born in absolute poverty. And obviously he's made a really huge mark now. Like they say one in 200 men are descendants of Genghis Khan. <laughs> it's crazy. He like left, he put he in some his work. Mark. He put in his miles. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> And same thing, Lincoln was born in poverty, and obviously he became one of our most recognized presidents, um, and many think, you know, the greatest. And Socrates was born in obscurity. He was the son of, like, a stonemason and a midwife, and now he's the father uh, of modern thought. And Napoleon was born to a modest family, maybe not as poor and destitute as some of these others, but he was a general by the age of 24. That's wildly impressive. Billy the Kid was orphaned at 14 and he had, you know, many crazy adventures and he died. I want to say, you know, when he was like 20, 21, something like that. He was really young when he died. And Beethoven was a virtuoso at the age of seven. And so there's this kind of running theme. Freud, I don't know what his deal. I couldn't quickly. And that was just like, I'm only so much man. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not a history buff. So if anybody wants to chime in on better ways to enunciate some Uh of these ideas, you know, I'm totally fine with that. Um, But there's a lot of other interesting things too, is that they're uniters. A lot of these people were trying to unite people. Genghis Khan. And that's the other cool thing about if you really go back and study history, nobody is like a perfect archetype. 
Genghis Khan, even in this movie, is portrayed as this buffoon almost uh, or a, a, a hungry you know, tyrant mm-hmm. and this warmonger. War yeah, yeah, warmonger. Thank you. And, and of course, you know, uh, Lincoln is this perfect elder statesman. Lincoln did some really rough stuff yeah, in the yeah. name of trying to keep the states together. And, uh, you know, an end game is probably, you know, freeing slaves and whatnot. But to do all those things, he did some really, really rough stuff. And likewise, Genghis Khan actually had was was not as uh, crazy and uh, warmongering as you might think he was. And so there's a lot of layers if you go back and study, you know, history itself that you may be surprised to find. And so a lot of these characters were actually, you know, uniters, harmonious people like Beethoven, obviously, was, you know, one of the most profound musicians of all time, if not the most. I don't know enough about music to really say one thing or another, but uh, that's incredible. And a lot of these people also were either murdered or died for their beliefs. Lincoln uh, wasn't killed because he was in the way. <laughs> like, he was the target. <laughs> wrong know? place, the wrong time. Yeah. Buddy. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake for yeah. her beliefs. And so they all made a major, major impact when they were young. And that, I think, is the lesson of the movie, is that Bill and Ted feel like absolute nobodies. Mm-hmm. They can't see. They can't see their future. They can't. Yeah. And it's incredible to think that they have a profound effect on the future Mm -hmm. that the music and the thing that they love and they're so passionate about is, I don't know, shaping the world to an extent that people want to travel back in time to make sure that it happens. And it's, it's the message that I can't say I ever picked up. I'm sure it was implanted like on a very subliminal level, but yeah, I think that's kind of the message that they're trying to subtly implant in us, and especially as kids, because this is marketed as kids. There's oh, no yeah. F-bombs. There's oh, no, yeah, totally. This is trying to get us to believe in ourselves and to say, it doesn't matter if you, you don't have to be born to a, a great family and you don't have to have everything handed to you. If you're in obscurity, that's okay. Yeah. You can be amazing. You can change the entire world. Even if you don't know how to play your guitar. Yes. Right? I love... I love that. I love that you brought that up because I think we all just need a Rufus, right? Someone to tell us like you're important. What you're doing is awesome, dudes. You know, keep doing it. It's yes, it sucks. (laughs) You're terrible at it now. But I mean, and we talked about this before in past episodes, you know, it's if you have the fire in you, you have to, you have to let it out or else it's just going to eat you alive. But you have to listen to your own inner Rufus. We all have one of those that is screaming to us to keep going, to push or to try something new or whatever, to not be afraid um, because it's different or you don't know how to do it. That's the biggest thing I think that is linked to this movie. They didn't know, one, they didn't even know how to play their instruments, much less how their music, future music, was going to change the world right? They needed a Rufus to tell them that. Uh, well, actually they didn't need it because they were just going to do it anyway. It's true. You know, yeah. like, cause they were maybe too stupid to stop <laughs> or to, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Um, which is a gift in this case. But, uh, I, th- I think that we all have a Rufus and, and hope, hopefully more people pay attention to that. That's awesome. That's you such know? a good point about them not even being able to play their instruments. Yeah. Cause sometimes, yeah. I mean, 
I'm sure I couldn't speak to it, but I'm sure there are artists, even musicians out there who started without knowing what the hell they were doing. And they were just too stupid to quit. Mm-hmm. They just said, you know what, whatever. I, I'm loving what I'm doing and I'm just going to do my own thing. And it turned into an entirely new type of music or yeah. it influenced, you know, not just their career, but the people of around them, musicians around them. Like it's, it doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing right now. What yeah. matters is that you don't quit. Or, or even more, it doesn't matter that you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. You know, why are you still writing, making films? I love it. Because you love it. That's your Rufus. And that's all you need to listen to is, is that because, you know, I mean, it would be awesome if a Rufus came down, came, came back in time and said, your movie is going to change cinema forever then what would you do you double down you double down right double down now (laughs) you already have you know like this is your this is what you do for a living like this is your livelihood that is doubling down that's awesome so you you've listened to your rufus and i think that all our listeners out there who are thinking man you know yeah but there's so many other like writers quote unquote that are writing short films or writing you know you know, like screenplays or, or plays or whatever, and they know what they're doing. I don't even know how to start. You just start, you know, and if you ask any writer or any actor or, or whatever, somebody who thinks they want to do something, but doesn't know how to start, but then they do. And then they get, they become successful. They will all tell you, just do it. There's nothing there. There's what, what do they say? The, uh, the richest, the richest place on earth is a graveyard. Ooh. Yeah. People that had ideas or, or concepts or, you know, like, like had things inside them that they never let out because either they were scared or they thought they didn't know how, like 90% of people out there, listen to me, everybody listening right now, listen to me right now. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Nobody does. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Talking to you. Same. I like, we've been doing this podcast for a year and a half or so. Yeah. I never know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm sitting here talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure now on episode 69, which, by the way, is badass. <laughs> I know we did that. On pur- did we do that on purpose? I totally lined that up. 69, dude. 69. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Perfect. Point being is that everyone is a poser and everybody thinks that everybody else knows more about it than they do. So there's no reason why you shouldn't just go do it yourself. Hell to the yes. Right. I love that. And I hope that if, soapbox. if they really are making a sequel, uh, an actual sequel, I, I wasn't a big fan of Bogus Journey. Maybe I just haven't watched it enough. But I hope that the sequel would be they still haven't made their mark and now they're, they're frustrated. They don't know what to do. And now it becomes, well, a, a chance to look throughout history at people who made their marks late in life. Mm. Like you think about Monet, one of the greatest painters of all time. And, you know, I recently heard that he really didn't start painting until he was in his 40s. What? Stuff like that. Ridley Scott didn't make his first movie until he was like 38, 39. Yeah. And so it's it's never too late. Yeah. And so whether they're, I don't know how old they'll be, like in their 40s or 50s or whatever. But yeah, that would be a great opportunity to go back and remind people, you know, your dreams don't die. Yeah. Your effort does. Right. And yeah. your your hope. And so to that, I mean, there is 
That would be amazing. That'd be a, a yeah. great story. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Um, it always makes me think of uh, whenever I think about not living out your dream. Uh, I'm not a Christian anymore, but I, you know, was a Christian for a very long time and read so much Bible that uh, there's a lot of great things in there still that I value. And one of my favorite quotes in there is, uh, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick." Mm. Stop putting off your dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, listen to your inner Rufus. I think yeah, it's, uh, I love that. Theme of the last finner, 15 minutes <laughs> of our soapbox. That's badass. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? Uh, the paradoxes of time. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean like, well, like let's talk about it for a second. If you go back and you take, (laughs) if you go back and you, you say, uh, Hey, Napoleon come with us so we can have you in our history (laughs) project. Well, doesn't that affect the history? I love how big of a dick that Napoleon was. By uh, the yeah, way. yeah, he was such. A, it was so great. It was so great. You think you'd think like Genghis Khan would be, right, yeah. you know, the, the bigger jerk, but no, Napoleon. And Socrates being like this mini me of uh, Billy the Kid. Yeah, so good. They're like best friends, yeah. buddies. Well, I just think it's hilarious that they go back and they take all of these these historical figures and they bring them to the present, and you're like. Well, okay, isn't that part of the history now that they yeah. d- all disappeared, you know? But uh, but maybe not because maybe because they bring them because the whole time they're like, remind me to leave my keys yeah. over here. Whoa, look, your keys are over here. You know, like maybe it's like that because they are going to bring them back to the time where they took them. Uh, so it's so like because a blink they, of an eye. Because they are going to, it doesn't affect the current history while they have them in the present. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no gap in time. There's no gap in time because they're going to bring them back to the same point where they took them away. They have all the time in the world. However, they just brought them to San Dimas in the present day. And then they're going to bring them back to the past. And they know what bowling is, what malls are, and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, if if I go to 20, if I go to, you know, like 2100, or 2200 and see, you know, like all the stuff they have. And I'm going to come back here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to change some stuff. I'll take a deus ex machina here where like Rufus is already accounted for that. Maybe he has like a memory. Oh, like men in black. (laughs) Maybe he goes back and is like, actually that never happened to you guys. Yeah. Um, to protect because if he's going to try to protect his timeline with Bill and Ted, maybe like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I love talking about time. So anybody who's a physicist, theoretical physicist out there that wants to chime in, uh, you know, you please can tear, do so. tear, yeah. tear us apart, please. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's what I got. That's awesome. I just like I just liked hearing all the stuff that you found. <laughs> yeah, I just I just enjoyed it. I didn't really yeah. have like any kind of like Same. inner inner monologue. <laughs> or yeah. It's just a fun throwaway movie yeah, you man. Know, on its face. Uh, but that's the kind of cool thing is even a throwaway movie can have, you know, really deep, rich meaning imbibed throughout it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So that said, what's your reco for the week? Oh man, we might recommend the same thing. Unlikely. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably, probably unlikely, but I'm going to recommend uh, one strange rock on, uh, on Netflix. Nice. It's such an amazing documentary. It's a documentary. I guess I'd call it. Yeah. 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 Documentary. Mm -hmm. It's educational. Yeah. It's, it's like planet earth, but better in some ways, man. It's it's like cosmos and planet earth kind of come together. Will Smith hosts 
it's like, whoa. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky oversaw the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can, I mean, definitely from the first episode, you really get a good sense of his uh, visual effects because he is such a grounded uh, effects maker yeah. kind of guy. Like, and, and each episode is its own encapsulated thing. <sighs> And it's it, it just, yeah. I mean, obviously, Planet planet Earth is like its own thing. And mm-hmm. that is incredible yeah. what they do. I mean, they will like be out in the middle of nowhere for weeks to get one 10 second shot. Like that is just mind boggling. And this is not that. This is something different, but just as good, if not better in some ways. It's a really cool introspection about our planet and like yeah. how we got our to universe, where we are. Yeah, the, everything. The tiny, and I love that they called it One Strange Drive because the more they talk about, you know, all the science and, you know, the history of our planet, the more I'm like, holy crap, we're here. Yeah. That's amazing. And all the crazy stuff that had to happen in order for us to be able to, to be here, you know, like I, I, awesome. I, I could go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, tangent. great call. Yeah. And I'm going to recommend a 80s movie made in 2011, I think, called Take Me Home Tonight. It's another little kitschy thing that... I think if you watch it, you know, on, on the first 15, 20 minutes, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is kind of fun, a little hokey. And then as it goes on, it's just, you know, it turns into a pretty solid movie. It's got Topher Grace um, and ah, Chris Pratt is in really? there. Yeah. Oh, man. I All didn't right. even know he was in it until I, I like was it. watching it again. And I've seen it before, um, but this was back way before, you know, he was a famous guy and some other Anna Ferris and some other throwaway characters. Awesome. But yeah, it's a little fun 80s movie. Great, great, great soundtrack. Really great soundtrack or is it great 80s soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Because 80s is like hit or miss. Like definitely a lot of uh i mean i trust you yeah i think it's great like okay any, right. anybody who's going to bring some peter gabriel to the, to the party, oh, okay you, you got know? me <laughs> all right now we're talking <laughs> awesome so stay tuned for next week we are going to be doing alita battle angel yep it's going to be really fun if you haven't seen it maybe go check it out or not. I don't know. That's up to you, but well, definitely go check it out. Yeah. Go check it out. I think it's worth it. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a note. There's a movie you'd like us to talk about, um, or the kind of things you like that when we do talk about a movie, you can talk about, uh, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> I think I just did a paradox in my own <laughs> speech. Big loop. <laughs> if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash Bill and Ted. And our quote of the day uh, is by Michelle Obama. Uh, Michelle Obama. Interesting. All right. You may not always have a comfortable life and you will not always be able to solve all the world's problems at once, but don't ever underestimate the importance you can have because history has shown us that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own. Yeah, I read the quote and I was like, I don't care who said it. I'm about to use this. Yeah, Um, I mean, this isn't political. This is just like logically brilliant. I was looking up, I don't even remember what I was looking up, but I was having a really hard time finding something that just kind of put the the needle right on top of the north, you know? And when I saw this, I was like, oh my God, yeah, because it really doesn't matter. History is full of examples of people who can do whatever it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And hope can be contagious. Like if you're around people who aren't inspiring you or encouraging you on the thing, either let them know, hey, get on board or, you know, maybe find a new group yeah. of people to be around. Yeah. Because maybe you just shouldn't be around those people right now. Because I think 
one of my keys to success of just maintaining anything, whether it's like a, a weight plan, a diet plan, or, you know, just pursuing my dreams or being a full-time filmmaker, whatever. A lot of my, you know, success personally, even though I'm not, you know, world famous, whatever is due to the people I surround myself with. Mm. I've never heard you discourage me. My mom has never discouraged me. Yeah. Like the people that I keep in my inner circle are always uplifting me and yeah. encouraging me. Yeah. You, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't, even people that not necessarily discourage you, but don't encourage you. Yeah. The, the, that's almost the same thing as discouragement. What you try to do, what we are all trying to do in our lives, whether that's anything from, you know, becoming the next great filmmaker to just being the best possible dad in the world. Like it's all really, really hard to do. And the last thing you need is someone who's not helping to prop you up. Right. We all need people to help us. And that could be something as, as small as a, as a, how are you doing? You're going to be fine. You know, like even yeah. that, like that is, you know, it's just, it's so important to find those people because everything that we do in this life is so hard, but it also like doesn't really matter in the end. What matters is how you did what you did and with what fervent fervents you, you, you had with what you did, right? Because that's what you leave behind. You know, yeah. a movie won't last forever. Mm-hmm. A record won't last forever. Everything that we make or, or leave, you know, that's physical won't last forever, but, but will last the, what will last the longest is what we impreg, impregnate on other people. Yeah. And, and if that is a, if that is your, your courage or your drive or your, your, um, uh, attention to, to the detail and love of that craft, you know, or for another person or, you know, just positivity, man, I mean, I like you could surround yourself like there could be somebody who is not encouraging to you who who is who you know kind of latches on to you whatever like wants to be your yeah. friend but not not encouraging and you could either do one of two things you could either say I just can't be around you which is totally fine or you can use your you can be contagious with your courage yeah. towards them and that could change them and all of a sudden they could realize oh you know, they wouldn't nece- probably wouldn't necessarily realize they were being discouraging to you, mm-hmm. but they might realize I could be more, you know, and that's, I think that's what this is talking about, the contagiousness of courage. Like it can really bring people to your level, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it gives permission to other people to pursue what yes. they love and totally. And it's, it's a great thing. And now it becomes more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I can't say it enough, man, this is, this is one of my favorite quotes, quotes that we've had. And I, like I said, I don't even care if I would have known who it it was by. This is just, it's so triggering for me because I mean, I said it four times before, but everything is so hard that we do in this life. You have to have this fire to do whatever it is that you're doing or else you're going to do it half ass. And even if you're successful, it won't matter because it's not going to last. Absolutely. You know, like I could... You don't have to be the greatest actor in the world. You just have to be the actor that wants it the most, right? And that, like, I say what you will about The Rock and yeah. his acting. Like, he's not the best actor, no. But man, I follow him on Instagram and I like everything that he posts because <laughs> that motherfucker, like, is 100% 
forward. Everything he does is is with intention every single day, and it's a it's amazing. There's there's a there's a, a Navy SEAL. Oh God, dang it! I forgot his name now. Anyway, they call him the toughest guy in the world, the toughest human in the world. He's he's run 200 mile races where he breaks every bone in his feet and he keeps running. He's he's gone through SEAL training three separate times. Um, Holy I, God, crap! I, I forgot they wrote books about this guy, but he's every single every single day he uh, just has this fire behind everything that he does, and it can be exhausting. I realize, but it's infectious more than anything else. And I think that everybody has something, you know, that they can, even if they latch onto just a little bit, it'll make whatever they do much more meaningful and lasting. That's amazing. Anyway, good quote. (laughs) (laughs) Could go on forever. So anyway, guys, like Wes said, please subscribe, review us on iTunes, tell all your friends, post us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter and all the other things and stuff and things and uh make sure to watch alita for next week i'm very excited about that same can't wait to to dive into that until then i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movies